The following program is a podcast1.com production. Let's play. is relative. I know that's no new revelation to any of you. It's a concept we're all very familiar with. I do believe it was Einstein who proposed the theory of relativity. But I was just getting a massage. All right, that sounds very luxurious and everything like that. But, but you know, I mean, I just finished my first eight-show week, plus rehearsals every day. So you've got two shows per day, six days a week, so that's a 12-show week with one day off. So essential, essentially a 12-show week. Um, so really uh, exhausting, and uh, I thought I'd treat myself to a massage. And I went for the, you know, for the, uh, no, there's no dirty story here. People get your minds out of the gutter. I just, I went for the, the 90 minute, the long, the longer massage because I just needed to really relax. And as I did relax, um, and the 90 minutes seems to fly by when you are having this nice, well, Theoretically nice. I know some of you who have had massages may have had bad massages, and they could be torturous. Um, but you're having, you know, a pleasant experience, and it's 90 minutes is flying by, and I'm going just just the reality of how slowly 90 minutes can go by in other situations. And the reason it was so fresh in my mind was because I had just had. Um, we had a rough show this week. Uh, now, first of all, these shows, we have not officially opened. The shows right now are what's known as previews. Previews are something some producer came up with, an idea a producer came up with, because they used to be called dress rehearsals. And you would do quite a few dress rehearsals, refining the show, getting things tight, because there's so many layers, costume changes and choreography and lighting and sound and staging and all that stuff. So you used to have a lot of nice dress rehearsals. Well, some producer many years ago said, wait a minute. They got the costumes on. Well, maybe I should say it with like a big cigar mouth. Wait a second. These guys, these, uh, these idiots got their costumes on already. Why don't we make some money off of this? Why don't we just, uh, let's call them something and not shows. Uh, all right, I got a hold. Hold the phone. Hold. Stop the presence. Previews. They're not shows, but you charge money to people to get in to see them. And for all intents and purposes, people go there. They know it's called a preview, but they're they're judging and seeing your show. The only people who are not allowed to judge a preview is the press. Press is not allowed to come to previews. That's like that's that's an understanding. Of course, some shows like um, Spider Man. Beware of the Dark, or whatever that thing was called a number of years ago in New York City. Maybe you heard of it. Um, that uh, th- that piece of crap, uh, they had the bright idea, since they were uh, selling tickets hand over fist just on the Spider-Man brand, that they would never open officially. So they just stayed in previews for months and months and months, so they never had the critics slam them, because in theater... A uh, critical, uh, uh, you know, cr- a critic's word is one of the strongest still. You know, in films, I may have talked about this before, in films now, we'll look at Rotten Tomatoes, we'll see the user rating very readily. Restaurants, you know, we'll see, we'll go to Yelp and we'll see what people think about the restaurant. We're not so interested in what the critic thought because we know they're, you know, highbrow 
you know, snooty guys who, whose, you know, palates are way more sophisticated than ours. Um, but in theater, you still live or die by the critic's review. So once that critic review comes out, shows have survived the critic's negative review. Most famously, um, The Wiz. Not The Wiz. No, no. <laughs> I just called The Wiz. Isn't The Wiz that movie with uh, Michael Jackson and Diana Ross? Uh, but I think you know which, film, which show I'm talking about. And um, that movie is one of the – that movie that, that shows one of the longest-running, critically trashed shows, most successful shows on Broadway. So it, it's not absolutely the kiss of death, but it pretty much can be. You got to really tough it out through negative critical review, reviews. Although positive reviews go so far in making a show, salvaging a show, bringing a show back to life, or, or giving a show a life. You know. So uh, the so uh, oh, but the uh, I was talking about the Spider Man. Beware of the dark. Yeah. So they never officially opened. But you know, I went I went to see the show. I paid money because a friend of mine was in the show. Plus, I wanted to see it. Have you ever like? Wanted to see something that sucks just so you could say you saw it. You know, everybody's talking about how bad it is and you want to witness it for yourself. I, I do because I feel wrong trashing something unless I have actually been there and seen it. Otherwise, who am I to, to speak? Now, I know that doesn't stop a lot of people. It was actually a skit on SNL this weekend. Basically, it was a it was a game show, and the name escapes me. But basically, it was about uh, had people on there who talk about things they know nothing about, and they should never talk about. That was the theme of the game show, and they would run a bunch of subjects past these know it alls, and the answer was always no. I have nothing to say, and yet they always would open up their yaps. So we all know people like that. But I want to be able to be say, yeah, I saw it, and I think. Because sometimes, quite honestly, I've disagreed with critics. I've seen many times I've seen things. I said, you know what? I really like that. And, and I'll talk about that as well. I'm like that with staying to the bitter end of a bad show or watching a bad movie to the bitter end. My wife, Suzette, will walk out. She'll go, this movie sucks. And I want to see it to the very end so I can officially proclaim it sucking. You know, I say, well, what if like suddenly, you know, the second act, it like kicks in. You know, what if it's a slow builder? What if there's a great moment? You know, I, I, I want to stay. So I'll stay right in the credits. Like I just uh, watched a stinker last night. Uh, the Man from Uncle. I'm a Man from Uncle fan. Uh, I'm old. There it is. And we're off the first time old of the show. Yeah, I used to watch The Man from Uncle in the '60s, the original show. Now they're doing a move. They did a movie, Guy Ritchie, who I really like as a rule. Guy Ritchie's work is really great. Once he got away from Madonna. Oh, man, that girl sucked the life out of that guy. But, 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 hello, let's mute that since I don't want to hear any of those things um, about the mail coming in. Uh, anyway, so we watched uh, The Man from Uncle, which was a period piece set in the 60s. So I used to watch it when it actually was new, when the styles they were wearing and the cars they were driving were the actual cars. Because I'm old. Now they're doing a movie. 40 or 50 years later, is it? 50 years later, uh, where they're using the cars that I actually watched when they were new. I'm old. Anyways, uh, meanwhile, back at the show. So we had a show this week, and uh, it was a preview. And, you know, it was rough. You know, technical problems up the butt to the point, sound problems, to where now my show has an actual band of actors, musicians, playing as the band in the show, which is really cool. The entire show is played to the audience as the audience is the club audience. And when the club's empty, the audience is instructed not to clap because the point is nobody's there to see this band. And when the band, as the show goes on and a few people start coming to the club, the audience is instructed with signs, golf clap. Like, you know, so playing the fact that by the end, the band, and I'm not giving away really anything in the story. The band is packing the place. So, and, and you know, at that point, the, the you know, the, the, the lid's off. 
and the audience can react and, and, and get enthusiastic any way they want. And the, and the audience really likes that, and they play along. So we, But we have these actors playing their instruments live, playing the band. They're portraying a band called Daisy Cutter, performing live, entertaining live. And the sound went out in a massive way, completely shut down. Now, the real crux of our problem with the sound was a real crap sound engineer. This guy should not have been allowed near a soundboard. And only because he removed himself from the project, because he had the decency, because it was union. It was a union thing. You know, I'm a union man. I'm in unions, multiple unions. My dad was in a union. I believe in unions. I'll tell you what, doing this show has really been pushing my support of unions. I'm, and this is not, I'm not making a joke here. You know, when sticking people in jobs, and we've had multiple people on this show here in Toronto who have not been up to snuff, but they were like, basically, I don't know if it's a draw or there's a list or whatever, but you get, you don't pick. With the actors, you choose, you cast. You don't pick who your sound man is. You don't pick who your different electricians and carpenters and people like that are. You are assigned. And if they're lemons, you can't get rid of them unless they do something, a a fireable offense. They have to literally violate the rules to be fired. It's like a, a bizarre tenure. So we've been having some real problems with those kind of elements. And this sound man that we were dealt was just... You know, hey, what's that smell? It's coming from the sound man. He stinks! Um, anyway, he, uh, I'm not mentioning him by name because he actually had the decency after making us suffer through a solid week of his inefficiency and inability to pull himself and allow us to get a better person in his stead. So there's that. But anyway, the sound went completely off, completely dead. Uh, no eight guitars, no drums, because you're using, you know, because it's it's Broadway, you have these electronic drums as well as electronic, you know, electric guitars, of course. So the drums went out, everything went out, and the lead singer in the band had to literally stop the show. One of the most awkward, uncomfortable, and I'm sure it was like mind frying for him as a performer, because it's not a rock show. You know, rock show, the power goes off. You know, you walk off stage, everybody knows the power went off. In a rock show, his microphone was still working. You know, it's there's, there's so many layers. And when you stop it, there's so many moving parts. Backstage, on stage, lighting, staging, so many mechanical parts to the show that to stop it, you realize that you are really like literally throwing, you know, a wrench into a machine and watching all the gears just come off the hinges and just just the machine collapse so he had to stop the show incredibly awkward and incredibly long 90 minutes which brings me to my original point the fact that 90 minutes could fly by when it's something pleasurable but make it something miserable and oh my god it was like watching paint dry. We were toughing it out through this 90-minute show, and the show really didn't get much longer except for the delay with uh, having to, you know, having to get the, the equipment all back working again, which was, again, a complete fuck-up on the part of this sound man who didn't deserve to be there. Uh, this said, but it was brutal. I don't think I've ever sweated more. As his show slowly went by, and I got to say to the audience, if any of them are listening here, uh, and I've run into quite a few listeners of the show uh, at my shows in Toronto, thank you, because it was kind of cool. They kind of got that we were struggling with this, and they got that we were at the mercy of this thing, and it was very obvious they were rooting for us, and they were really enthusiastic and kind of not kind of. They were they were vocally cheering us on, which was really cool. Made us feel a lot better. 
but honestly, it didn't make the time fly any better, any any faster. So uh, yeah, so time is relative, and uh, so 15 minutes has gone by on this show already. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna um, this week. I want to talk about. Well, I want to give a, a a Donald Trump using we're not gonna take it update because a lot of people have been asking me about this, and I spoke about this at length. But in the recent week. The Donald has made some really inflammatory comments, which some people are cheering and the other side are mortified, terrified, horrified, all the fides you can think of. So I want to talk about that. You know, when I'm buying a new car, I feel like there's this incredible imbalance of power. I don't know anything about cars, really. And I'm going into these dealerships, and I'm going up against pros, guys who not only have the knowledge, but they're professional salesmen. They know how to work you. They know how to get you to do what they want. My brother was a professional salesman, and he used to tell me the little things he used to do, like nodding his head yes while he's talking to you and and he'd find and he says and to a man or woman they soon would start nodding their head yes and now they're reinforcing what they're saying yeah you need this you need this and they're nodding their head yes and the and the and the buyers there nodding their head yes it's insane and i used to marvel at how good he was at it but it makes me think he's not the only one he's a salesman they're out there it's what they do They're constantly working us, and they're not working us for what we want. They're working us for what they want to sell us. Thank God now with technology, there there are apps and there are websites that we can go to to help us and even the playing field. You know what I mean? The True Car app and the True Car website is just that. Now, you can go to one place where you can get the most comprehensive car pricing information available. Now, car prices can vary even within your area. So when you know the car you want and you're ready to buy, there's only one place to go. It's True Car and the True Car app. There's no headaches, no hassles, no feeling like you're getting taken. Just the car you want at the price you can feel really good about. And what makes True Car truly special and unique is their certified dealer network. What's that? Well, TrueCar is partnered with over 10,000 TrueCar certified dealers that also believe in a new way to buy a car. They're not looking to hustle you either. So when you go online and you get your TrueCar price and you get your guaranteed savings, TrueCar certified dealer will honor those savings. It's that simple. So you go online, you find the fair price on a new car via TrueCar. Then, with TrueCar, you can see what others in your area have paid for the same car, too. That's another thing. What's worse than finding out your neighbor got a better deal on the car than you? I'm telling you, this stuff eats at you. It's the little things in life that pick us apart. (laughs) TrueCar helps you determine a fair price. You know, TrueCar users save an average of $3,221 off MSRP. Did I say off? I meant off. No hassles, no headaches. It's how car buying was always meant to be. Over 2 million cars have been sold by the True Car Certified Dealer Network. And there are over 10,000 dealers in the True Car Certified Dealer Network. So there's bound to be one that's near you. You work directly with a True Car Certified Dealer contact. It's that simple. Even the playing field. Visit TrueCar.com or download the True Car app and start saving. True Car. Never overpay. So, a couple of weeks ago, no, months ago, when Donald Trump first called me and asked me if he used We're Not Gonna Take It, and I gave him my blessing, a qualified blessing, that it wasn't an endorsement, that I didn't agree with everything he said. I agree with many things he says, but he was a friend, and I felt, I still feel, that he is raising holy hell. He is shaking things up. He is dismissing politics as usual. He's making professional politicians squirm for taking money 
and the Super PACs and the, you know, the, the, the was it the Koch brothers, Koch brothers, Koch brothers, whatever they are, those two brothers who are like financing these politicians and basically controlling these politicians. I love what he is doing. I love what Bernie Sanders is doing. I even like what Ben, well, I'm not a Ben Carson fan at all. I, I don't get that guy. But at the same time, the fact that he's an outsider and he's just adding to this whole acknowledgement that people are just fed up with politics as usual, I like that. I like that a lot. And when I spoke about Donald Trump and him using my song, I, I spoke about how many of us have friends who we get along great with, we love, we party with, vacation with, spend holidays with, share memories and families and great times with, but we do not see eye to eye on the big three or, or any one of the big three, religion, politics, or sports. And I spoke about how these are the three subjects they say never bring up at a gathering or a party. And I spoke about the fact that I have many friends, great friends, great, I mean, really close friends, who we do not speak about politics because that will be the end of us. I have close friends, wonderful friends, who are fans of sporting teams that I revile. And I know they despise the team I support. And I wear my team's hat when we get together. They wear their team's hat. We've never, I've known them for years. I married this guy and his wife. Well, his first wife. I, I performed the wedding ceremony. But we have never mentioned the teams that we support because that will be it. It will explode. You know, certain, certain sports teams really have a hatred for each other. And it will just, it, it, that'll just be the end of our relationship. So we just avoid these things. Is that sticking your head in the sand? I don't know. That's a really good question. What do you think? At Snyder Comments, at D Snyder, um, Snyder Comments at I think it's gmail.com. You know, I'd love to hear from you on this. Here's the question If you know that a good friend has an opposing view to yours and you don't acknowledge it, are you, is it a fake friendship? Is it, is it, does it, does it cheapen the friendship? You know, and, and so, you know, and I guess I can, re, you know, think about that myself and say, well, with sporting teams, is it really that significant that they like another team? Is it hurt anybody or change the world? Because you can't stand that team and they can't stand your team. So no, I don't think that's sticking your head in the sand. Um, if it's, Religion, is it sticking your head in the sand if they believe in one God and you believe in another and you don't discuss your differing opinions on the subject? I still don't think it's hurting anybody. And political views, I don't think so either. Unless, of course, their political views are their Nazis. You know, for example... You know, if they're if you're if they're a member of the uh, Ku Klux Klan, and you're ignoring that, and they're you know by by night by day they're hanging out with you at sporting events and you're having a great time. By night they're burning crosses on people's lawns and wearing a hood. That may be sticking your head in the sand. I could see that, but if their worldview isn't hurting anybody, is it wrong to not? Examine that too closely. So now, and this is what I brought up with Donald Trump and the Trumps, that 
despite I, – I was surprised to both of us that we liked each other doing the Celebrity Apprentice, that he would like me, I would like him, he would respect me, I would respect him. Uh, I came to know him way more than you guys do because you get to know a person more when the cameras are off. You know, you get to know me more when the cameras are off. You see me perform on stage, you're seeing one D. Snyder. You know, here's an example. You know who's really nice? Amorosa. A lot of traffic in Toronto today. If you're hearing the horns blasting, a lot of sirens going on. I don't know what the hell's happening out there, but it's like Armageddon's going on. But Amorosa, I was on Celebrity, uh, Celebrity Apprentice All-Stars with Amorosa. And here's, you know, the queen of mean, whatever they call her, one of the most reviled. There's that word reviled. That's your word for the day, kids, reviled. Characters on reality TV. She was lovely. If you remember, she was engaged to Michael Duncan Clark, who passed away, who everybody said was a lovely human being. Lovely. I said lovely twice. It's very effective. This is what theater does to you. It has you using words like lovely and wonderful. Uh, and instead of counting one, two, three, four, you go five, six, seven, eight. Um, but, and, you know, I met her, and, you know, my guard was up, and she was great. She was nice. She was cool. She was genuine. She was sensitive and caring and heartfelt. And these words you would not use to describe Amorosa. But the minute they turned the cameras on, she was her character. And I watched this and I go, well, wait a minute. When I go on stage, you know, you've come to know Dee Snyder, the... I don't know how you would describe me. Affable, I hope, likable, cool, you know, down to earth. I would like to think those words are used to describe me. I'm sure assholes in there as well with some people. But, you know, but that's not the character you ever saw on stage. That's not the persona that you wanted. You didn't want Bing Crosby to walk out on stage and start singing, we're not going to take it. And, well, when I'm on stage... It taps into a darker side, an intense side that I bring forth, but it also, I embody a personality and a persona to this day. Now, back in the day, in fairness to truth, that personality was an extension of my offstage personality. I was mad at the world. And I just got madder when I was on stage and I had a microphone to express my hatred, you know, and, and just, just disgust and anger and frustration with life. Once I was successful and became, you know, more relaxed and calmed the hell down, going on stage, I know nobody wants to see that guy. Plus, the songs I'm singing just trigger. It's called neuroassociations. They trigger the same emotions that I've always had when I'm on stage. So I am just on fire when I'm on stage. So it's not really a fake persona. It comes from someplace. So the question is, comes someplace, comes from a, a, a real inner hostility. So I'm wondering if Amorosa used to be that person off camera the same person that she is on camera. Either way, she's playing a, a role. She's playing, it's what's expected of her. When you hire Amorosa to be on your show, on your reality show, um, I remember how upset Donald Trump was that uh, Teresa Garucci, 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 whatever, the one from well, the Housewives of New Jersey, who again was a real sweet woman, sweet girl, very nice. She refused to do any table flipping. She wanted to show people that that was not the real her. She wanted to show people what she did in Celebrity Apprentice. Like, I wanted to show people who I really am. She wanted to show people that she's more than a table flipper. And she resisted and fought falling into that pattern, even though they were trying to push her to do it. But nobody wanted to see that. 
And I wonder if, in my case, people wanted to see a down-to-earth D. Snyder. The other day, somebody said, I love you. I love Celebrity Apprentice. D, you were so laid back. I thought you were going to be, like, crazy. And I wanted people to know that I'm laid back, dude. But um, they, some people were, like, disappointed, as always, to find out that I'm not a complete moron frothing at the mouth 24-7. Be that as it may, getting back to Donald Trump. So we became friends. I'm friends with his family, friends with, with Donald, and he's friends with me. And like I said, he asked me, which was cool, hey, man, how do you feel about me using this song? And I did give my blessing. Here's, there's something going on now that I'm wrestling with. And I, I, you know, I'm being, you guys, and you are a small, I mean, there's tens of thousands of people listening, but it's still comparatively small in the scheme of things. This is still an intimate show. This is not, you know, the Adam Carolla show with millions of downloads. This is an intimate show with a close-knit group of people. So I talk to you in that fashion. And I'll always talk in that fashion, even as the show grows. But at the same time, I feel a connection when I run into people on the streets. The minute they say, hey, dude, I read your book. Or, dude, um, you know, I listen to Snyder comments. I know this person has more of an insight to who I really am and a better understanding. You're knowing the person. And I'm, you know, and I'm fair to, to my detriment. And I wrestle with things. Because here's one of life's great realizations. And most of my older listeners know this, maybe haven't verbalized it like this. My younger ones should discover this. And if you're older and you haven't discovered this yet, if you're still walking around thinking life is black and white, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. It, it, it is black. Things are black and white when you're a kid. I like vanilla. I like chocolate. You know, Great. I hate this. I love this. Great. You're a kid. When you get to be an adult, if you're a rational thinking person, if you've got any kind of cognitive abilities in your mind, in your head, any ability to, to rationalize things. Oh, no, I don't want to say rationalize things. To process things. Not rationalize. Process. you got to see that life is shades of gray. Very rarely are things black and white. Very rarely are things cut and dry. Very rarely you can say yes, no, with, with just with a absolute yes or no, without qualifying a yes, but. No, but I, you know, but. As my father always says, everything before the word but is bullshit. Life is shade of, shades of gray. And the best you can do in this world, in this life, is try to pick the lightest shade of gray you can find. You know, well, that one just looks like a dirty white. That's, the, that's, a, that's a great deal. When you can find something that's just a little bit off-white, you are, oh, that's like a home run in life, in the true life. You can't, it's just, things just aren't black and white. And I'm wrestling with the fact that my song, is being used by Donald Trump. And not that so much what he's representing, but some of the people who are getting behind him. Some of the organizations that are, are viewing him as their hero, as their champion. And I know... That Donald Trump is a rational thinking person. And even when he says things like building the wall, he perceives the reality. He knows the truth of it. He knows, yeah, we need a, we need a by the way, we need a real wall. Not a fence that you could put a, a ladder from Home Depot over, you know, for sure. But he knows the truths of what he says. But there are a lot of morons out there living in a hate-filled black and white world that are 
grabbing on to these ideas and these statements. They're taking the soundbite. And I'm not talking about the news agencies. They do that too, but in a different way. They're taking, but people out there who are Donald Trump supporters who are taking the soundbite and running with it. And when he talks about things that are extremist and they just are going with the racism of it. And that truly troubles me because I am not a racist on any level. Okay. Do I think we need to secure our borders much better? Yes, I do. Do I think we need to be vigilant and thoroughly check and process and examine anybody who wants to come in this country, especially if they're Muslim? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, there are two types of Muslims. There are traditional, regular, wonderful Muslims, know some, love some, have friends with some. And then there are radical Muslims, extremists, hate-filled ones, malicious ones. But truth be told, there are malicious elements in every religion and every faith out there. There are people who don't belong in our country. And for too long, we have not been vigilant. For too long, we have been sloppy and and allowing just any Tom, Dick, and Harry to walk in with, with, with very little vetting. In this day and age, we need it. So, see, this is where I agree with Donald Trump, but not in a racist, hate filled way that some people and some organizations are jumping on the Donald Trump bandwagon and endorsing him and supporting him. Like this week, it was a couple days ago, there was a Black Lives Matter protester at a Donald Trump rally. And he was physically attacked. Now, this is... Now, the, um, the, next, the, first, the physical attack is... Absolutely factual. There's physical video of the guy being kicked and punched and, you know, stomped. I mean, that's there. Um, They say that there were people using the N-word on him. That I didn't hear on the tape. That's alleged. I don't know if it's true or not. But if it is true, and that is a big asterisk on that if, that would be an example of where the wrong people Get it, read, interpreting the, the message. And I sound like, again, I sound like I'm supporting Donald Trump. I tell you, I agree with some things that he stands for. Other, many, other things, many things I don't. But this plays to a much bigger situation. I've always been fascinated with the accepted right and the accepted wrong and explorations on that. One of my favorite movies is The Unforgiven. Deservedly, best picture of the year. Uh, when it, it, I think it made one director as well for Clint Eastwood. I'm not sure, but deservedly, best picture of the year. And what I love so much about the movie was that it examined the ideals of good and evil. It blew it up and held you know it, it held it to the light and said okay so we've got our accepted good if you, i'm sure many of you have seen the movie if you haven't i'll i'll show you what they did with it the movie said okay let's take our accepted you know the sheriff's a good guy the uh the the, the not the, they were called cowboys back in the day but the outlaw is the bad guy but what if in this situation the outlaw finds religion, for lack of a better word. He didn't find religion. He met a woman who changed his life. Turns out the outlaw was an alcoholic and under the influence of alcohol did horrendous things. Okay, well, here's another subject. Is alcoholism uh, an addiction? 
Is alcoholism a disease? Is it an excuse? That's another argument for another time. But the one thing that happened, he met this woman, he put down his guns, he sobered up, and he became a good man. And he, he had two children, he worked a farm, and he left his past behind him. His wife passes away. This is early in the movie. He needs money. He hears that there is a damsel in distress. He hears that some atrocities have been performed on a woman. And there is a bounty, a prize, uh, for bringing these people to justice. Well, actually, the, the bounty is the woman who was put upon. They want to hire somebody to avenge her. So... He has this talent. He's a gunslinger. His family is starving. The farm's not doing well. He needs to provide for his kids. So he doesn't so much come out of retirement, but he comes to use his talents now for purposes of good, and he wants to get the reward money for doing it. So, all right, so you have the bad guy who's become good. Now, Meanwhile, the sheriff in this town, and it's a little complicated, and I'm not going to go into the whole story here, but just the sheriff is an ex-outlaw who still in his heart is an outlaw, but he um, went legit, I'm putting the quotation fingers up, and he got a job as a sheriff. But he's using his position as sheriff to just legally be an outlaw. And this is something we've seen in modern times as well. You know, within law enforcement, yeah, you know, I've known I, I I know quite a few law enforcement people, and I know a lot of criminals as well. My dad was a cop, and I've known many a criminal who wanted to go to school before they became like full time criminal. Wanted to go to school to be a policeman, so they could speed and carry a gun and raise holy hell legally, seriously. It's not unusual. Okay, so in this movie, I loved it because here you had the you had the the, the accepted bad guy now was a good guy and the accepted um, the accepted image of good. The sheriff was actually a bad guy and and the good guy. It was it was really just got your brain frying, weighing these things up. And when I did my movie Strangeland, a story within the story, which I tried to. Show. I had a lot of problems with that movie. Uh, a lot of stuff was cut out of it because the director was just a piece of shit. And he ruined a lot of scenes. But I really wanted to play with that as well, good and evil. If you saw Strangeland, my character is a schizophrenic, uh, uh, is a schizophrenic, unmedicated, does terrible things, gets arrested, gets medicated, and is fine. Uh, is he, you know, is so? Is he forgiven or is he not forgiven? Is he, uh, you know, is is, there, is he excused for his horrible, horrible actions in the movie? A guy tortures people and does terrible things when he's obviously sick. He's mentally unstable. Do you forgive him or don't you forgive him? And and, and this was a this was something that I wanted to challenge people with within watching the movie Strangeland. But one of the other things was. You know, I was here saying my enemy's enemy is my friend. Well, you had, you know, when they released my character from uh, from the hospital after, you know, they, as they as they sometimes do, there was people who wanted revenge, and it was a broad group of people within the group looking for revenge. There were, you know, average Joes and Janes. There were extreme religious nuts. And there were even people who, uh, and this was something that was lost, who were very big because my character was using um, body modification uh, in, a, in, a, in a torturous way. And even people in the body modification community who were angry that this guy was making them look bad by using something that they use to beautify and they think is a beautiful thing to as a, as a weapon against people. So I had this great scene where shoulder to shoulder – you had these very diverse people at a protest side by side against a common enemy. That was my character, Carlton Hendricks, Captain Howdy. This is, so this, and I wanted to, 
I want people to say, look at this. So this happens, and look, this will happen to all of us. There will come a time where we will endorse something, we will support something, we will believe in something strongly, where we will look across and see somebody who we don't like or agree with in the least is supporting that same thing. Case in point, Donald Trump now has white supremacists cheering him on and his view that he is in league with white supremacists. And again, I know the man. I know this is not who he is. This is not the person he is. Yet, how do we justify, I mean, is it our fault that if a position we take is agreed with, is agreed on by people who we despise? Do we have to always pick things? Do we always have to choose paths that are completely independent of any other group that we might disagree with? That's a really tough question because life is shades of gray. Yeah, it's easy if you're a extreme liberal or extreme conservative to, to stay so far away from either side that you're never in agreement with people. But if you're a moderate like me, if you're a rational thinker like most of us, and moderate like most of us, by the way, I know that. They always talk, you know, I remember the uh, extreme right used to call themselves the moral majority. I said, no, it's the moral majority. They're the bullying minority. The extremes on either side are always the loudest voices in the room, while the rest of us try to make sense of what the hell is going on. So here I am, and I hear my band is going, you know, is it cool that Donald Trump is letting him use, and by the way, actually not letting it's not letting. Legally, we actually can't stop them. It's just, a, it's, they're, it's, um, it's like uh, music played at Yankee Stadium. We can't actually stop the Yankees from playing one of my songs. Not that I would. We can't stop a sporting team from playing one of my songs. We could publicly say we don't want them using it. And a lot of times, that'll, you see with, with politicians, that, ha- that has had a huge effect. But legally, they can, see, they can just keep on using it. It's just a, it's a, not even a licensing. You just pay a, a standardized fee. It, it's just a public, you know, event. And, you know, so anyway, the point is we don't have, a, uh, we don't have a, a legal leg to stand on. But should I be stopping Donald Trump from using the song when I know that he's still the same person that I've always known, but now – People are hitching their wagons to his train who are hate-filled and I do not agree with on any level and I don't want any association or any affiliation. So I sit and watch this unfold, what's going on here in the world with great confusion and frustration as to what I should do. I know some of you are screaming at the right there. You shouldn't let him use it. And other ones are screaming, you should still let him use it, right? Black and white, baby, right? Black and white. I'm just, I'm, I'm still sitting where, standing where I stand, allowing him to use it. I'm just sharing with you what I'm going through as a creator of We're Not Going to Take It, as a friend to Donald Trump, but as a rational thinking person, seeing some of the vitriol. There's another word for you, kids, and, and the hatred that's starting to build around his events and his campaign. Hey, listeners, I do this one every week, but 
I really mean it. This is really important, and I really want to take a moment to thank my great sponsors and all of you great listeners for supporting my sponsors and this podcast. I've been doing it over six months now, and your help, your you're supporting my sponsors, and my sponsors supporting me is keeping the show alive. All of your contributions help make this show possible, and I want to remind you that you can support my sponsors by going to my show page at podcastone.com, clicking on the Support This Podcast banner, and there you will see all my wonderful sponsors that help keep the lights on. If they're helping me, you need to help them help me help you. What does that mean? I'm not sure. In addition to my sponsors, you can also support the podcast by using my Amazon banner. Holiday season's coming, and Amazon offers this show a small commission on any product you purchase. It's no additional cost to you if you use my Amazon banner. If it goes through my banner, it says that people are listening, people are paying attention, and it helps me keep doing this show. You can even use my Amazon banner if you're located in Canada, where I am, or the UK. Also, to make it easier for all future purchases, feel free to bookmark my Amazon URL. Please do. Like I said, the holidays are here. You're going to be ordering online. You're ordering through Amazon. Just funneling it through my banner will help keep this show alive. Thank you again for all your support, really. And now back to my show. Another thing I want to talk about is song lyrics. And I guess in mine in particular. If you look, if you pay attention, and again, there's an inordinate percentage of people listening to me uh, that is out of, that, that are like true fans of D. Snyder. So it, this doesn't really apply to you guys as much, but you'll understand what I'm saying. You look at song lyrics, look at it from the 80s, and there's a commonality to them. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, girls, 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 party, party, party. Not Twisted Sister lyrics. Twisted Sister lyrics, and I wrote all of them, I wrote all of the songs myself, were message-filled. A lot of you know that. They were rebellious, but it was more than rebellion. I was, I was venting. I was expressing my frustrations with life and frustrations with, with the world. But I was shouting out to others like me out there my message, trying to communicate with others who were suffering through what I was suffering through. And while I thought, I knew there were people out there, I didn't realize how many of them were on the same page as me, how many people were suffering through what I was suffering through. As I said, you know, the, the extreme left, the extreme right, they are the minority. The cool kids, the popular kids, the cool people, the popular people, they are the minority. The majority are just us struggling in the middle, trying to fit in, trying to find a place in the world, trying to be accepted and, and find an identity. We are the majority, yet we are run by a handful throughout school. The, the, you know, the, the, what do they call them? The mean girls, queen bees, and the, you know, and the guys, the cool guys, the jocks, whatever they are, the handful of people who are, are controlling the day-to-day -day ebb and flow of any school or college or any institution. They are the dictators of style. They are the dictators of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And we, the majority, suffer through trying to meet up to their standards. And at some point when we decide we're not going to, we are still being judged by it. Do you follow me? My daughter, Cheyenne, God, I adore her. So proud of her. She's, she's such a young, powerful individual. And she is tattooed, pierced, hair dyed. She dresses outrageously. Um, we, when we travel, uh, we often, especially in Europe, you know, we stay in really nice hotels. Hotels. 
yet as individual as she might be, she is still judged against the recognized standard of style in her school. It, even though she doesn't care about that, it is still, she looks different because she doesn't look like blank. The current trend, the current style, the current acceptable standard. The songs that I wrote, the songs I have written, had messages. Messages to the masses. Messages to those of us in the middle. Messages to those of us dealing with these judgments day to day. But the sad reality is a very small percentage of my audience really truly got the messages. I call them the 10 percenters. Probably listening to the show, it's more like 50 or 60 or 70 percent of you guys because you are the ones who get it. The words meant more than rebellion. The words were meant to inspire, to direct, to share, for me to be open, to let you know you're not alone out there. Songs like I Want to Rock and You Can't Stop Rock and Roll, Stay Hungry, I Am on Me, The Kids Are Back. Virtually every song I ever wrote had a common message of independence and individuality. But the majority of people don't only hear the very surface. That's why when you know I was in Washington and everybody was fussing about lyrics and the lyrical content. And you know, part of the argument that I didn't make in Washington but needed to be said was that most people aren't even hearing it. You can say, well, they're getting it on a subliminal level. Nah. There's very little enunciation in rock and roll. I was a big enunciator. Um if you've seen that recent voice commercial with uh, Adam, what's his name, and <laughs> and the other guy singing, we're not going to take it. They're talking about my enunciation. Um, you know, the, uh, most people just catch on to the, the hook, the catchphrase, and they just kind of take from it what they want. The truth of the song doesn't matter. I mean, look at the final countdown, you know, the song that they're using on that Geico commercial, which is hysterically funny. Lyrically, it's about the end of Armageddon and our planet's been destroyed through, you know, uh, we've, we've, we've abused our planet and destroyed it. And now we're, the, the, the remaining living souls on Earth are taking off for Venus. I mean, but does anybody know that? Does anybody care about that? I sang that song in Rock of Ages every night on Broadway, and we made it somehow like about a about the destruction of the Sunset Strip, and it was we danced through a construction site. I mean, you know, and I'm singing the lyrics, "We're heading to Venus," and we're going. What does this have to do with anything that's going on on the stage? People don't care. People don't care. A small percentage do. A small percentage get it, and I have the pleasure of meeting those people from time to time. And those words meant something to them. And they come to me and tell me, and I could see it in their eyes, I could hear it in their voices, the importance of what my messages meant. How they knew they were not alone out there. How they knew somebody got it. Somebody saw what was going on. Somebody was willing to speak about it. I wish that more people would understand what I was saying and hear my message, but, you know, it, it glads me that at least some people took heart from hearing those words and, and stood strong. I mean, literally, I meet grown men and women who are almost teary-eyed when they meet me and tell me their stories of what songs like I Am on Me or, or The Kids Are Back or You Can't Say, any of those songs. They each have a song that was a message to them, that spoke to them, that reached them. I Am On Me is a really important one to me. It was our first hit in the UK. Uh, didn't really have a chance here in the States. But uh, it's a really, the, the message, if you have a chance to listen to it, is a really important one. But it does my heart good to know that some people heard, that some people were helped. And not that I was trying to be... You know, Dr. Phil or something. I didn't think that I 
had the answer. I was just screaming in anger, screaming in frustration. I was venting. I was making my personal statements that I hoped others might hear and others might take inspiration from. But it wasn't like I thought I was some kind of a, you know, an authority on anything. At that time, I was just an angry young man writing angry songs, screaming and, and venting and letting out my frustrations and pent-up emotions. And that's the beauty of heavy metal. That's why I love it so much. So, uh, just you know, and, and so I, 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 because I've been doing the musical and there's these these D Snyder these meet and greets. I'm oh, speaking of these meet and greets. You know, uh, this I don't know where this started. The velvet rope, the golden ticket. Uh, maybe it was Willy Wonka. I don't know if it was Kiss or Bon Jovi or who started this idea, but it's caught on like crazy. And everybody has the extra special package where, you know, you, you pay a premium to get the best seats and to get backstage and get a chance to meet your heroes. And I've seen some of these things and they can be such a rush job. People paying ridiculous amounts of money for an autograph and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a photo. And, to, and their heroes won't even take a minute to share a word, make eye contact, shake a hand, or something like that. Now, I'm not saying everybody's like that. I'm just saying I've seen a lot of them in action. And it's inspired me to do more than that. We call the meet and greet at the D. Snyder's Rock and Roll uh, Christmas Tale the D. Snyder Experience. And... Um, I try to do just that. The other night, I was, you know, uh, in a line of people, and I make a point of taking a minute with everybody and just being conversational and, you know, I said sharing a word, sharing a handshake, a hug, whatever, and taking some pictures and just being cool about it because people have paid a premium for this opportunity. And um, I'm taking, so I signed this guy's pass, and he's there with his wife, and we're taking a picture, which is the first two steps. And while we're taking the picture, he is speed talking a, a thank you message for what my music meant to him. This is kind of what started this thing here. Was this guy because he I, he didn't think he was going to get a chance to tell me how important my music was and how I changed him and how I helped him and what my messages mean to him and meant to him and how it helped him. And I've and I and we're taking a picture and he's. He's smiling, throwing horns, and talking like out of the side of his mouth. And I, don't know if I really liked I Am On Me because those words really spoke to me when I was just a kid. I was really all alone. And I'm going, dude, relax. I'm not running away. <laughs> I'm not running off. But this is the typical you know, golden ticket experience at a rock show. It's like there's no – you're meeting your hero, and you can't even impart to him the importance of what their music or their, their being – meant to you. Well, I don't do that. Anyway, I appreciate the words. People come up to me on the street and they usually preface something. I know you hate hearing this, but your band meant so much to me. I'm going, the qualifier is you hate hearing this? How could anybody hate hearing love for what you do? But clearly people think that we're annoyed. Somebody out there and I know, I know some of them are acting annoyed when fans come to them to say something positive. I'm not one of those people. Stop by. Don't interrupt me when I'm eating because you're gonna lose. You might lose a hand. But uh, you know, and, with my, and respect when I'm with the family. But to stop and say hi, hey man, blankety blank blank blank, you'll get nothing but uh, hey, thanks a lot for that. Nice to meet you. And I'll, you know, and, and that'll, that'll be the end of it. I'm with my family or whatever. But at the same time, you know, who am I to ever reject a fan who's showing me some love? It'll never happen. And, and sadly, I've seen many rock stars do it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And fans of these rock stars, it amazes me how some of them put up with the abuse. It amazes me that they're willing to put up with the abuse. All right. That's the end of this week's uh, Snyder comments. Um, have any thoughts? 
uh, tweet me at the Snyder or at Snyder Comments or email me SnyderComments at gmail.com. Until next time, everybody, y'all be cool. Stay tuned for the latest AP News headlines from Podcast One right after this. When shopping for car insurance, consider this. GEICO has been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. So if you're serious about savings, it's simple. Go to GEICO.com. After 75 years, they know how to save you money. AP Update. I'm Sandy Kozell. Polls are opening across New Hampshire for the nation's first presidential primary. And that means it's time for Granite State undecided voters to make a choice, as we hear from the AP's Jerry Bodlander. Voters here in New Hampshire are known for waiting until the last minute before deciding who they're pulling the lever for or changing their minds about who they're supporting. Gloria Fields is choosing between Donald Trump and Jeb Bush. Trump because of his business ability. Bush because of what he has done in Florida. Field says she may not decide who she's supporting until she's in the voting booth. All this uncertainty makes polling more difficult, and on top of that, independent voters can vote in either the Republican or Democratic primary. Jerry Bodlander, Manchester, New Hampshire. Polls show Clinton trailing Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. She started her day at 7 a.m. at a Manchester polling location. AP Update, I'm Sandy Kozell.